Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenna Lee Samuel. On this show, I bring the simplicity of hearing God's voice into everyday life in a no-nonsense, authentic, and super practical way. With coffee in hand and real life in our faces, let's do this. Hey guys, hey, welcome to season four. I am so excited to be back with y'all. I had a busy weekend, but it was a, not weekend, I had a busy summer, but it was a full summer and was a good, good break. But I'm ready to dive in with some fresh topics and episodes for you guys this season. I already have a number of people scheduled, a number of episodes already recorded and ready to go. And I'm really, really excited about what season four holds. I will be actually traveling in the end of September to speak at a women's event in Phoenix. In fact, if you're in the Phoenix area, we would love to have you come. Just reach out to me directly if you'd like to buy a ticket. Um, It's called an Entrust. It's a discipleship conference for women. But I will be there representing Java with Jen, and I would love to see you. As far as today's episode, we are going to talk about how love covers. And the reason I want to dive into this is because there is a story that has hit national news about a pastor who's being asked to step down by his church because of what appears not to have been sinful necessarily, but potentially unwise conversations he'd been having on Instagram with another woman. We're going to get into the details of the story in the episode, but I believe the church has been handling it in an a way that has made it a bigger mess than necessary. And so the way we handle both other people's sin and our own is really important. There's a way to do it that's nurturing, healing, and reconciling that doesn't have to be damaging or destructive. So that's what we're going to dive into today. It sounds heavy, but I think it'll leave you really encouraged. Okay, so let's dive in. First, a word from our sponsors. All right, so today's episode, we're going to talk about how love covers. And while I am... The context of this is coming from this story that's kind of on national news. The reason I'm bringing it to you is because I think this picture of what's happening over here with this pastor and their church causes all of us to kind of reflect and go, how should sin really be handled? How should I handle someone else's sin? How should my sin be handled? Because something I have seen, I've grown up in Christian church And there was always this kind of, I might even call it a traditional way of dealing with sin, particularly with leaders, in that there's the belief that it needs to be broadcast publicly, that whoever you're responsible to, that they're the ones who deserve an explanation about what you've done wrong. And to be honest, I wrestled with that for a while because the reality is like my parents growing up, for example, it would have not done me any favors to know everything they did wrong. It wouldn't. Now, was it helpful for them to come to me in moments where their sin hurt me and say, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have treated you that way. I'm sorry. Or if I witnessed them doing something wrong, they then need to correct the example they set and and restore the standard through an apology. Yes. But if they're dealing with something in private, they've got marriage issues, they've got you know, financial issues, they've got whatever, addictions, or I don't know, anything. I don't want to know about all that because once you know about it, you feel inclined and obligated to help carry it. So the story for those of you who do not know, and I'm not going to share the pastor's name, I just don't want to do that, um, but there is a pastor in Texas who recently uh, was confronted by a woman at his church, and um, she confronted him because she had a friend 
who is a member of their church, who was messaging with the pastor back and forth on Instagram in private messages. The, apparently, though, the pastor's wife knew about these messages, the woman's husband knew about these messages, and there was nothing sexual or romantic about the messages. So there, there was nothing about the messages that were sinful. However, the frequency and the famili- familiarity is what made this woman uncomfortable, and that's what she brought to this pastor's attention. Now, I have to, I have to commend this lady. That took a lot of courage. Um, and to me, that says she actually cares about the pastor because she was willing to have an uncomfortable conversation to bring this to his attention. Anyways, so the pastor listened to her, and he said, you know what? Let me let me address this. And so he went and shared these messages with his wife and with um, an elder and said, hey, do you feel like that I have crossed lines here? Do you feel like these are unacceptable? And they went ahead and hired a legal investigative team, which to me feels a little extreme, but that's what they felt was necessary. I don't know what their contracts are. You know, I don't know all that. But they hired an investigative team that deemed no, there has not been any sin committed but there have been, um, what is it, foolish talk and coarse jesting, just the familiarity, and they kind of were crossing some gray lines, it sounds like, and they said, this is not becoming for a man of God, like the word says, foolish, foolish talk and coarse jesting we should have nothing to do with. And so they said, we feel like because of that, you have crossed a line of the standard you're held to, and so we think that you need to step down over this while you just maybe address some personal issues. And so... He had a teachable heart and said, okay, then I will accept that. I'll step down. Um, and so I think all of that is was handled well and is how it should have been handled privately and discreetly. But where I feel like it makes the situation potentially dangerous and harmful to the pastor's family and unnecessary is when the pastor stood up on the platform at church and shared the whole situation with the church. Now, if that was his choice and he felt like that's part of how he owns his mistake and he owes them an explanation, then that's that's totally on him. But there's, I just, I want to speak to what I've seen in the Christian church of, of feeling like if a Christian has sinned, it needs to be broadcast. And I know not everyone feels this way, and I know not not every situation do people feel like that's the case. It's usually just when it comes to leaders. Um, but I just want to speak to that because even as leaders, the principles we see in the New Testament actually don't implicate that that's how we're supposed to handle it. And so I'm going to dive into this, okay? So should they have confronted the pastor? Should that woman have? Yes. Should there have been accountability pulling in the elders and his wife? Yes. Should he have stepped down? Possibly. If he felt like there was deep issues that needed to be addressed and he needed to step out so he could tend to those? Yeah, sure. That's healthy. Did it need to be broadcast? No. Why is that? And how should sin actually be handled? First, let's address why not to broadcast it. Okay. Because maybe we've all seen this. We've all experienced this. If nothing else, if you saw that story, you experienced reading about it, okay? And the number one reason I would say is because Jesus never did. We never see in the New Testament Jesus get up and broadcast somebody's sin. We saw the Pharisees do it. Pharisees dragged that woman caught in adultery into the public square, were ready to stone her. And the reason the Pharisees did that is because Old Testament law, that's actually part of how they handled sin, is they made a public spectacle out of it in order to make a point for everyone to learn from. So it's actually an Old Testament practice in dealing with sin to make it a public ordeal. 
But when Jesus came on the scene, I see nowhere in scripture where Jesus made a public spectacle of sin. The only thing I can think of that people might argue is when he went in the temple and he was thrown over tables. And so I asked the Holy Spirit about that. And the issue is Jesus wasn't dealing with one person and their individual sin. He was dealing with a culture and a climate that had invaded the church and he was setting a culture correct. He was setting order. And so Jesus wasn't shaming an individual. He came in and was like, this is not okay. We as a church should do better. So that's a little bit different. Okay. Um, Second reason why not to broadcast it. The New Testament does not endorse public reprimand as a type of punishment. And again, that's because public reprimand is part of the Old Testament way of dealing with things. Well, the difference is Jesus came. He paid the price for sin. His He took the cost of sin upon himself. So now we don't stand in punishment. We stand under grace and forgiveness. So then how do we deal with sin when we have grace? Matthew 18 talks about this. It says, when someone sins against you, here's how you should deal with him. You should go to the brother in private and tell him his sin. Tell him what he has done. And if he listens to you and turns, then you have won a brother over. It says if he is not if he does not listen, take one or two witnesses along with you, like escalate it a little bit, basically bring the pastor in, bring a counselor in, um, you know, bring their spouse in or, or or whatever would help make the point if you are genuinely concerned about a way this believer is behaving, there is sin involved, then it needs to be addressed. And so you bring in somebody that's gonna help bring accountability to the situation. But again, a group of one or two is discreet, right? It's not being broadcast. And then it says, if he still does not have ears to hear it, then you bring it to the church. And so I called my husband about this. I was like, babe, that third step I struggle with because I picture dragging someone up in front of the church because as a kid, I saw I saw a church do this. There was a couple that had sex together and they dragged them in front of the church and broadcast their sin of having slept together. And I just remember the climate of shame and, and accusation in that room was horrible. As a child, I remember thinking, it just made me want to crawl under the chair and never be honest about my sin with people in the church. Isn't that terrible? So if if the impact of publicly broadcasting shame produces the fruit of making us want to hide and not be honest about our sh- about our sin then that is probably not the right way to deal with it because the bible says that the kindness of Jesus the kindness of the lord is what leads men to repentance it's his kindness his ability to be merciful in the face of our shame right so Matthew 18 endorses going privately. We also see that when it comes to confession, it says, well, how should you deal with your own sin? In James 5.16, it talks about confess your sins one to another, one to another. That's like a one-on-one conversation. So that they may pray, you may be prayed for and you may be made whole. So there is something about accountability. That's a picture of an accountability partner or an accountability. When I've struggled in an area, I've pulled in my sisters. I have pulled in my, like my actual sisters or I've pulled in a counselor. Or I've pulled in my accountability partner. Usually it's any one of those four people, maybe my best friend. Like I have five people that are close and safe. I can go to them depending on how big the issue is, is how many of them I'll have to pull in, you know. But 
I won't go beyond that. That's my, that's my support people. They will help me learn to do what's right if there's an area I'm struggling in. They'll talk me into some common sense, into some wisdom, right? So even that confession is one-on-one. There's one place in the New Testament that I found where it talked about public confession of sins. And it was when people were becoming believers and they were getting baptized. And at the point of baptism, they were confessing their sins. So that, and then they were being baptized because it's a public confession of their faith. And so that is a different context. They are voluntarily saying, these are the things I've done, but I'm committing my life to the Lord. He's cleansing me. I'm getting set free. So even that, it's like the end of the issue, if you will. Like they're like, this is what I'm turning from. So it's not like, the middle of the struggle, it's the end of the issue. And so even that is a different context. Next, why we should not broadcast in. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, this is a principle that I'm really big on, says, he who is given a trust must prove trustworthy. And this was an important principle for me when um, I was navigating some really unhealthy relationships as well as unhealthy church culture and, and who to pull into certain struggles and who not to pull in. And the Lord brought this principle to me and he said, he who's given a trust must prove trustworthy. Even in close relationships, if you're in a toxic relationship, say it's a parent, a spouse, um, a sibling, a cousin, whatever, someone really close, that the, the nature of the relationship, you should be able to pull them into a certain level of depth. But if they as an individual have not proven trustworthy with those deeper places of you, say they use your past sins and they use it as a weapon against you, or they hold your past against you and like criticize you with it or manipulate you with it or try to control you with it or anything like that, they are not proving trustworthy at all. They're not, they're not being a safe place for you to confess your weaknesses and your struggles. So they do not need to be someone that you invite into that space. Even if it's your spouse, if your spouse can't handle your sin with love and wisdom, you don't need to invite them into that space. Find someone else who can handle you with care. Okay. And so if you broadcast your sin to a whole church, a whole congregation, There are plenty of people in that room who have not proven trustworthy because you don't even know them on that level, right? And so it's reckless when we get vulnerable about sin that we're currently dealing with. That is a current place of vulnerability. That is a massive trust because how someone responds to me in my sin or in my weakness can either harm me more and traumatize me and destroy me more or they can put me on the path of reconciliation. That's how vulnerable that place is. You only want to pull in the people who have proven trustworthy to help you get back on the path of reconciliation. Okay, fifth, a fifth reason why not to broadcast is it exposes those who are weaker in their faith to discouragement unnecessarily. For example, after this hit the news, a girl that I mentor texted me and said, hey, what do you think about this story? Have you seen this? This really discourages me because I really look up to this pastor. I really appreciate his messages. I'm really encouraged by his ministry. This just discourages me and makes me feel like, man, can anybody keep their act together? Can anybody live an overcoming life? It discouraged her as a younger believer. She's not a novice, but she's younger and she looked up to his leadership. When we share as leaders, whether you're as a parent as an older sibling, as a mentor, as a, um, a church leader, whatever, when you expose your current struggles to those people under your leadership, it kind of, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. 
If I'm a leader, and I had to learn this actually in leadership, the women who were being mentored by me, I had to draw a line that I wouldn't share my current struggles with them. And sometimes it was hard and sometimes I crossed that line. But they ended up sharing with me, hey, it makes me uncomfortable when you share that because then I don't know how to relate to you as my leader anymore. So I realized when I when I did that, what I was doing is I was removing from their life a leader that they needed and I was giving them just a friend who needed help. They didn't ask for that. <laughs> they related to me as a leader. They needed me as a leader in their life. And so does that mean we can't be transparent? No, absolutely. You guys know me better than that. You know, I tell on myself all the time. But I tell on myself from past struggles and past areas of weakness where I have gained the wisdom and the overcoming and have come out of it and can speak to it as a past struggle from a place of victory. In that way, I can encourage you as, as a, maybe a younger believer or whatever, I can encourage the listener and say, Hey, I'm standing in a place of victory, not a place of struggle. I can actually lean in and help you. Like if you both jump out of a a boat and you're both struggling, you can't throw a a life raft or a a life-saving ring to somebody. If you're already, if you're in the water, you know, I'm not looking for someone who's in the water with me. I'm looking for someone who's in a boat and can throw me a life ring, right? So same thing with current struggles. If you're in the water with them, um, then then you're not actually someone they're looking to for encouragement. It may actually discourage them to see you flailing alongside of them. <laughs> and so anyway, so speak speak to those under your leadership and, and share about your past sin from a place of victory, not from a place of current struggle. I don't want to know my pastor's struggles. I love my pastor. I know he's human. I know he has struggles. But ignorance is bliss in the case of I want to learn about his past struggles and how he overcame because that encourages me and it paints a picture of victory. But if all I see around me is people struggling, I'm going to then be discouraged because I need to see hope. I need to see a victory. I need to see what I can aspire to. And that's why it's important to share with people from your past victories. You give them a picture of hope when you're standing in the other side and looking back rather than from in the middle of it. The sixth reason why I don't think sin should be broadcast like that is because we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. When it's when his sin is broadcast, guess what it does? And we've already seen this happen. Uh, there's news sources that are trying to get their hands on his text messages or his instant messages, inst- Instagram messages. What do you think they're going to do with that? They're going to publish it. They're going to try to expose him because the world, the world only cares about religion when they're being religious. The world only cares from a destructive, exposing standpoint. Okay, we've already got people who feel like they are their mission is to call out the the wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're already making all kinds of accusations and all this stuff. I'm not even going to say because I don't want to plant those seeds in anyone's heart, but it's wrong. It's wrong. And, but unfortunately, because he opened himself up vulnerably, he's bleeding in front of sharks, if you will. He, he opened himself up and invited a whole bunch of people into his struggle that have not proven trustworthy. And we can see that now by how people are responding. Whereas if they had been discreet about it, none of these people would have known what to go chasing after. We could have just respected the fact that, hey, he knows when he needs to step aside right? And that actually speaks to boundaries and being healthy and knowing when to draw a line. That would encourage us. But because that is kind of a place of victory, like, hey, I recognize I need to go get some help. I'm going to do that. And then I'll be back when I'm healthy, you know? And so how do we as a church do better? 
You know, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation says, I believe in who you are. I know what you're capable of. I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to walk with you to your place of victory because I know victory is part of your inheritance. And so how do we do better as a church? One of the first ways we do better is found in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. It says, dear brothers and sisters, and I have a story to go with this. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, I had a recent experience where someone I care deeply about got caught up into a church that was very unhealthy, possibly a cult. And this church was so focused on sin so focused on sin that this friend of mine who was a very pure-hearted, beautiful, confident woman of God became micro-obsessed with every single tiny little sin. She would have a thought run through her mind that was maybe unrighteous, and she would confess it to the pastor as though she was deeply entrenched in sin. And so she had all these confessions going to her pastor. Oh, forgive me for stealing. I I have this thing that I borrowed and I hadn't returned it yet. Forgive me for stealing. Or I had this thought. Forgive me for this thought. I apparently have an adulterous heart. You know, so like very much got pulled out of context and into an extreme, making her guilty of things that she really wasn't guilty of. It's just, we all have thoughts we have to take captive, right? We all forget to return something we borrowed. Yeah, it doesn't make you a thief and that doesn't make you an adulterer. But the way this, this pastor and this church behaved, now me and some of her friends went and got her and, and, and brought her home. And the way this church responded was after she had left town, Instead of getting together to find out if she was okay, to find out how they could have helped her, they got together and they broadcast that pastor, broadcast the things that she had shared privately in confession, and broadcast all her sin, broadcast everything, and they painted her to look like a horrible, horrible person. Now, friends, that is not how you handle somebody's sin. I'm sorry. That is never, ever, ever okay. For one As a pastor, that pastor has a responsibility to privacy and should never have shared what this person had shared. But if nothing else, the way they came together, they were not coming together with a a spirit of reconciliation. They were not trying to reconcile that girl back to her faith. They were not trying to reconcile and figure out where did we go wrong? How could we have helped her? We even reached out to those pastors hoping to help, help this girl but they didn't actually care about her well-being. They just wanted to make their point, prove their point, and prove that she was a horrible person. And we're like, you know what? We don't need to have a conversation with you. If you don't care about her well-being and getting her better, we don't, we don't have any reason for a conversation with you. And so we didn't. We didn't have a conversation with them. Galatians says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. These people were not fulfilling the law of Christ. They were not fulfilling the New Testament um, gospel as we have it. Jesus said, I have not come to judge the world, but to save it. And as he's talking about uh, being given the ministry of reconciliation, the context of that passage, God is showing how he reconciled the world to himself through Christ. By bringing Christ, 
Christ was able to help get us reconciled back into a a healthy, whole relationship with God. And he said, and so now you have been given the ministry of reconciliation because now that you are in Christ, you have the same job to do. Your job is now to get people reconciled back to a healthy relationship with God. Reconciliation is the heart behind how we deal with sin. It should be the heart behind how we deal with sin. Sin is never really truly the issue. Underneath sin, what drives sin, the broken places in our souls, the lies that we believe, um, us trying to meet our own needs in our own way, that is what drives sin. And that's what we should be preoccupied with is trying to help that heart get healthy, get well, so that sin is no longer the issue. Okay, so here's another way we can do it better as a church. Realize If it's the Lord's kindness that leads men to repentance, now these are scriptures I'm giving you. If there's no condemnation for those in Christ, Romans 8, 1. If we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that's in Corinthians. If Jesus himself didn't come to judge the world, but to save it, that's in the New Testament. Then we, and we are co-laborers with Christ, which is what the New Testament also tells us. Then we have a job. When confronted with sin, it should be our kindness that helps lead men to repentance. We should approach people with no condemnation. We should recognize we have a ministry of reconciliation, and we should recognize that we are not here to judge the world, but to help save it, just as Christ did. Just remember, at the bottom of everything, scripturally we see that love covers a multitude of sins. And that doesn't mean that we hide sin. It doesn't mean that, I mean, we just talked about, you know, how can we do better as a church? Realizing that love is intended to cover sin. Just like when I'm correcting my child, I don't do it publicly. I cover them. I take them in the other room. I discipline them, correct them, and then I bring them back out. Why? Because I'm trying to protect them from the humiliation of shame and public humiliation, right? Love covers. Scripturally, we see that love covers in that that word love is, 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 reflects a spirit of loyalty. And that word covers actually is like to surround, like with tree bark, which I thought was an interesting picture. But to en- envelop or to wrap around like bark, a skin, a shell, to protect or shelter or shield by hiding something. That's First Peter 4, 8. It says, above all uh, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, For love will cover a multitude of sins. And in our fervent love for one another, we should desire to hide people, almost like a a mother hen um, hustling and protecting her little little chicks under her wing. That's what it needs to look like, a multitude of sins. And a multitude of sins meaning us missing the mark, us failing to meet an objective, meet a standard, or fulfill an obligation. How many of us technically do that in our Christian walk, maybe even on a daily basis, you know, because we fall short. We screw up. We say something we didn't intend to say. We have an attitude that was ugly that we need to apologize for. In those moments, love covers over a multitude of sins. Does that mean we don't speak up? No, we do speak up because if you see, if love is meant to cover and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, the goal of dealing with sin is not to condemn and point out. The goal of dealing with sin is to reconcile a brother back to a healthy, wholesome relationship with the Lord. And sin is always destructive. It's always destructive. 
because we're not intended to meet our own needs through our own human endeavors. We're intended to meet our needs through the Lord. He will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And so God is intended to be a source to us. And so, but sin, sin is us trying to meet our own needs through our own human effort. And so dealing with sin is actually an effort of, if I see my kid has, is developing a, a drug problem, heaven forbid, I'm going to go and talk to him and say, this, this needs to stop. This is going to destroy you. Or if I see someone that I love um, developing an unhealthy relationship with someone who's going to harm their life, I will say something to look out for them. So when love covers sin, that's more talking about like your, your, just the spirit of, I'm not going to expose you as we deal with this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to have a fervent love for you because my heart is for your well-being. Does that mean we don't address the hard things? No, it means we do it. We just do it right. Like Galatians talks about doing it humbly, gently with a heart to reconcile them. Like Matthew 18 says, go to them privately. If you need to bring one more, but do it privately. And so we want to do things in the right way. And so love covers the topic of this, the mess. uh, the title of this episode, Love Covers, I want that phrase to help remind you that love doesn't hide sin in an unhealthy way. It doesn't hide it so they can continue sinning. That's not love. Love cares about the ultimate good of that person. But love covers in that I'm not going to expose you to public humiliation and shame. This church, I feel like whatever reason they decided to have that pastor share everything, If they said he needed to do that, then I feel like those elders failed to protect their pastor. They didn't do a very good job of allowing love to cover him in that place. If that was his choice, that was his choice. But what we can do is we can be people who operate in love and reconciliation, covering over the mistakes of the people around us as we walk with them to restore them and reconcile them to a healthy place without sin that would destroy them. There we go. I hope that I hope that's helpful. I hope that helped clear up things. And uh, if this if this story has been on your radar, you've seen it across social media or whatever. I hope this gives you maybe something to chew on in regards to it, uh, because again, they handled a lot of the situation right, but just that last little bit, I felt like made things vulnerable and delicate. And and this pastor's family may deal with some stuff they wouldn't have to deal with if they hadn't been so public with it. And so again, the sin needs to be dealt with. We need to walk with our brother and sister, but there's a right way to do things. Ultimately, we want to do it for others the way that we would want it done for us, right? So if you have any questions, if this stirred up any thoughts or questions, feel free to reach out, send me a message, um, direct message me on Instagram, but don't go anywhere. Actually, you can email me at javawithjenpodcast at gmail.com, but don't go anywhere because now I have a life hack coming right up. Okay, so you guys know what a nerd I am about uh, healthy stuff and taking care of your body and all this kind of stuff. So a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to figure out why am I not losing weight? Why is my gut so unhealthy? Why is my skin breaking out? Why do I just feel really weird? And it kind of was on my heart to look up about um, uh, heavy metal toxicity and heavy metal uh, 
poisoning heavy metals in your body and all this stuff. So I started looking up heavy metals in the system and realized, which we can, we can take that on from all the stuff they add to our foods, the stuff they put in things like toothpaste and different stuff. And so I looked up some of the symptoms of heavy metal, having heavy metals in your body. And I was like, oh, some of that sounds really familiar. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm going to do some detoxes. And so I found something. I, another thing that popped up in my, in my spirit was the word bentonite clay. And so I went and looked it up. And sure enough, bentonite clay is like pfft, good for everything. It's amazing. You can bathe in it and it pulls toxins out of your body. You can use it on your face. It's great for your skin. And you can actually take it internally if you get the right kind. It has to be approved for ingestion. Um, but bentonite clay is technically volcanic ash, but it, it, your body can't absorb it. But what it does when it goes through your system, it does so many cool things. It pulls heavy metals out of your system, almost like a magnet. It attracts them and will pull it and flush it just out of your system. It actually pulls radiation out of your body, which if you're on cell phones, you're around Wi-Fi, you're around computers a lot then radiation is a thing, especially with all the 5G towers, radiation is a thing. And so to minimize the, the exposure to radiation, they said that some animals, after being exposed to radiation, like nuclear bombing and stuff, after frequent treatments with bentonite clay, they were considered safe to eat which I don't know that I would totally, totally go for an animal that was exposed to radiation, but they saw that the decrease in radiation in their body so much they were considered safe to eat. And so it pulls radiation out. It helps with diabetes. It helps with diabetic neuropathy. For me, it, it helped my digestion. Like I have always been really dairy intolerant the last few years, but I have found since I've been doing bentonite clay, for whatever reason, I'm actually digesting dairy just fine. Like I'm not having an issue. Now I haven't gone crazy. I haven't eaten a whole ton of cheese, but so far I haven't noticed any uncomfortableness in my stomach from having dairy. So that's super good news. Um, so, and it also really helps with your skin because it helps clean out your gut. I don't know y'all. I've just, this stuff has been awesome. You can do some research. There's tons of benefits of taking bentonite clay. So what I do in the morning is I will have a cup of Oh, I forgot it this morning, cup of water and I'll add lemon um, concentrate to it, make like a little lemonade almost. I'll add a scoop of greens if I have greens, uh, which I just ran out, but my greens kind of help flavor the water. And then I add a teaspoon of bentonite clay and I add a little stevia to sweeten it up. And then I just drink it down as fast as I can. <laughs> the bentonite clay kind of you know, if you just put it in straight water, it's going gonna, it's gonna to taste like you're drinking ashy, muddy water. So you should disguise the flavor a little bit. Um, so add it to something you can enjoy, even if it's like those emergency vitamin packets or something like that. I find that it gives a really cold, weird, almost like carbonation, but not carbonation, like a really cold effect on my drink. It's weird. It makes it taste colder than it actually is. It's so bizarre. Anyways, but then I just drink it down and it has really helped me in a lot of ways. And I feel like my metabolism has actually increased a bit. Um, so that's your life hack. Go look up bentonite clay. I got mine on Amazon. It was like 20 bucks for like a two pound thing of it. So you can throw it in the bath. You can use it in foot soaks and facials. And then you can take it internally as well. This stuff is incredible. So there's your life hack. Bentonite clay. It's spelled B-E-N-T-O-N-I-T-E clay. So you can go check it out. Otherwise, 
Guys, thanks for checking in for today's episode. It's season four. Do me a favor. It's a new season and my episodes, my, my whole podcast has been quiet for three months. I've had little plays here and there, but it would do wonders to help kind of boost the numbers and, and trick the algorithm into putting me near the top. If you guys would share this episode out with friends or post it on social media, all that super, super helps. You have no idea. So would you do me a favor and share it with a couple of friends and throw it on social media? That would be amazing. Otherwise, I will see you guys next week. I have a great topic, a couple great topics coming at you on parenting that I did as a guest on someone else's podcast. And our conversations were just great. And so I'm going to actually throw that on here for you guys. So that's next week and the week following. So stay tuned. Otherwise, follow me at Java with Jen so we can stay in touch. Um, That's where I'll do lots of updates and let you guys know what's coming and throw up some links for any cool new stuff that's going on. So I love you guys. See you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Listen. Let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, don't miss our merch store where you can get super cool Java with Jen swag and coffee. Find it at javawithjenmerch.com. Until next time, remember, hearing God's voice is simple and he wants to be a part of your everyday life. See you next week.